Now, there is, I thought about this actually too, is we even have, we live in a country that even has a day on the calendar that you take off work and the kids get off school called Thanksgiving. And I think it's pretty fun that we live in a country that celebrates actually giving thanks, right? And so we're going to march towards that uh, throughout this entire year. But there is something that robs people from this attitude of thankfulness. There is, for each of us, even for myself, there is, there is this idea of finances, of budgeting, of money, of stuff that can really rob the joy of this holiday season, whether it be Thanksgiving or moving into Christmas. And we get so caught up in what, how much money things cost or what we're spending or what we have or what we don't have. Maybe we notice what uh, uh, maybe your kids bring their, uh, as my kids have already done, bring their, their list of what they want you to buy them for Christmas. And you look at that and you're like, yeah, I can't do that. Like, I don't want my kids to be disappointed. Or maybe I should just get them used to being disappointed now for life. But anyway, but... um. It can, it can just kind of begin to steal the joy. So we're going to do a series as we celebrate called Life, Money, Hope. And I want to start with a survey question. Love for everyone to participate. I think it's an easy question. The question is this. How many of you would love it if God blessed you with more money? Just by a show of hands. That you would love it if God blessed you with more money? Raise them high like you really want it. Like some of you are like, you pray this, right? You would love to have more money. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, what would happen if you had more money. And, and here's the, now there's a question. Everybody raise their hand. It's an easy question. Yes, we want more money. Here's the question though. Do you think if God just really blessed you and all of a sudden you had more money than what you even thought you needed, do you think you would be a good rich person or a bad rich person? Isn't that a good, you're right. Do you think you'd be a good rich person or a bad rich person? I think I would be an excellent rich person. I really do. This, this past Monday night, uh, I was blessed with some tickets to the Monday Night Football game at Arrowhead Stadium. Got to see the Chiefs play the Broncos, right? And you better be rich if you're going to go to that. Because if, I got blessed with tickets and parking. It costs $60 to park at Arrowhead Stadium. Did you guys know that? No. 60 bucks. Like That's why people get wasted in the parking lot, to numb the pain of having to pay $60 <laughs> to park. I was like, this is insane. My wife told me not to tell that joke because it might offend people. But it's funny. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, $60 to leave my car here. And then you walk in, the, the, the tickets aren't cheap. Like over 100 bucks for tickets for one person. And then God help you if you're hungry and want a hot dog. And then if you, if, you are, uh, if, you, if you do really desire a $15 beer, have a ball, right? I'm just like, you better be rich to go. It's, it's insane. Now, while I was there, I took this picture uh, right here. The 50-50 raffle. Somebody that night won $36,000. It wasn't me. But I took that picture because I thought, man, I would, you know what I would do with that money? I'd give it all away. Because I would make an excellent rich person. Right? I, I bet that I would do and you would do good things with that money. And that knucklehead who won that one, I bet he didn't do anything good with it. Right? Isn't that what we think? Because we, we, rich people are weird. Rich people, you guys notice like how your movie stars and your favorite musicians, how they're just a little odd? Like, do you think that rich people are odd sometimes? Like, rich people do strange things. And I, I was uh, thinking, do, is it because they were odd before they got rich and the rich just amplifies their oddness? Or are they like you and I? Were they normal and then got rich and then got odd? Oh, what happens, right? And I think we need to process that in case you ever do get rich, that you won't become odd, right? Because this series is not life, money, odd, or life, money, strange. It's life, money, hope. And so um, let's, let's kind of jump in here 
And I want to talk to you about two observations uh, that I notice about being rich. I'm curious if any of these uh, uh, speak to your life. First one is this. First observation about being, about being rich is rich people live in denial. Rich people live in denial. Tall people know they're tall. They tell you. Short people, we know we're short even though we don't want to admit it. Introverts have no problem telling you that they're introverted. Extroverts can't wait to tell you that they're extroverted. But you've never met anybody that said, hey, I'm rich and I know it. Rich people live in denial. Uh, Most of you guys are familiar with Gallup. Gallup does a lot of polls and a lot of surveys. And Gallup did a recent survey within the last 10 years, uh, and they asked the question, what is rich? What is rich? And they asked people to define it. And they started with a household income. So think of your household, your household income. They started with household income earners that made $35,000 a year. And they said, are you rich? And that household said, no, we're not rich. And they said, well, what in your mind is rich? In the, the, the household, that household income was $35,000 a year. They said, if we made together $75,000 a year, we would be rich. Now, right away, you guys in the room who make that as a household income, you go, I'm not rich. And so Gallup figured that too. So Gallup then went to those who make $75,000 a year. And they said, are you rich? No, I'm not kidding me. I'm not rich. And they said, what would it take for you to be considered for you to think, hey, I'm rich? And you know what their answer was? If they made $150,000 a year. $75,000 a year, I said, if I made $150,000 a year, I would be rich. Now, some of you make that. And you're like, I'm not rich. Now, Money Magazine, anybody subscribe to Money Magazine? I, I just canceled my subscription. Um, Money Magazine surveyed all, some of you may, right? Uh, I, I don't. I, 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 I like hanging out with people who do. Um, Money Magazine surveyed their subscribers, and they asked that question, what is rich? And the people who read Money Magazine, they said this, if you have liquid assets of $5 million, you are considered rich. $5 million. So, you guys in the room who make $1 million a year, you're not rich. $2 million, you're not rich. Three, you're not rich. Four, you're not rich. $4.9 million. Now, you give me $4.9 million, guess what I'm thinking? Are you thinking you're rich? I'm thinking I'm rich, but money, the, 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 the rich people in the world say you're not rich unless you have $5 million. But you know what I bet? I bet if you went and talked to people who made $5 million a year and you said, hey, are you rich? What do you think they would say? I'm not rich. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. Um, nobody is rich, but everyone knows someone who is. Would you agree? There ain't a person in here that's rich, but we all know someone who is. And it's like it's this moving, moving target. Let's look at this uh, uh, thing. I actually have my little notes here. What did I write here? Oh, yeah, the Global Rich List. Have you guys heard of this website? Globalrichlist.org or .com. .com. Globalrichlist.com. You've got to go here. I took screenshots for you. This is so interesting. Don't do it right now because I'm, what I've got to say is really important this morning. But when you get home... You can put in your income and your go to make sure you put in U.S. dollar, and then you can put in your interannual net income. And I put forty-five thousand dollars. If your household makes forty-five thousand dollars a year, you are in the point four one percent of the wealthiest people on the planet. You're a one percenter. If you if your household makes forty-five thousand dollars a year, that makes you the twenty-fourth million seven hundred and fifty-nine thousand five hundred and sixty-fourth richest person on earth by income. Now, my wife has heard me say that, the teaching team on Thursday has heard me say that, and you guys have heard me say that, and not yet has anybody went, Woo! praise the Lord, hallelujah. I didn't know this morning when I woke up that I was rich. 
Why do we not do that? Right? Nobody, nobody's done that. Nobody even thought that. We Instead, we go, yeah, but that's over the entire globe. And if you were to take our economy and place it in Indonesia, then, yeah, it's going to be completely... And we begin to rationalize out our, our wealth and our status and our riches because rich people live in denial. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about rich people. All right? Here's my second observation. My second observation is this, is that rich people are plagued by discontentment. Rich people are plagued by discontentment. Here's the bottom line for this one. The more a rich person has, the more a rich person wants. I know this is probably not like you, right? But the more a rich person has, the more a rich person, the more we want. There's a word that a lot of rich people use. Maybe you've heard of this word. The word is upgrade. Have you ever used the word upgrade? Upgrade is when you take something that you have that typically works okay, and you go and give money and get something that does almost the same thing, but it is shinier, newer, or whatever, right? That's what upgrade is, if you didn't know what upgrade is. So, like, uh, I talked about how rich people do strange things. This is, this is some of the strange things that rich people do concerning upgrades. Rich people will take a car that works, and they will drive it to a car dealership, and they will give their keys to that car along with some money to a dealer, and then drive off in a car that does basically the same thing that previous one did. It's just newer. Rich people do weird things. Rich people will take their iPhone 7 and give it to Verizon or Sprint with some money to get an iPhone 8. But it's got a better camera. It's upgrade, right? That's what rich people do. Rich people will walk into their bathroom. That, that, that In most bathrooms, a lot of bathrooms typically have a sink. Maybe you have a double sink, and there's a toilet, there's a shower, a bathtub. And they'll walk in there, and they'll look around, and they'll make a decision. And they will rip out the, the, the bathtub, they'll rip out the shower, they'll rip out the toilet, they'll rip out the sink, and they'll come in and they'll put in another toilet, shower, and sink. Rich people do weird things. Now listen, I can laugh at myself because I water my lawn. Rich people water their lawn. I water my grass so that I can destroy it quicker. Isn't, I mean, seriously, aren't we weird what us rich people do? That I literally take money and I throw it away so that I can mow my yard more frequently. But it is dark and green and beautiful. All right? Rich people, have you, maybe you guys can help me with this. This is fun, right? We're picking, do, you see, do you see where I'm going with this? All right, okay. So have you, if you finished this sentence with me, have you ever walked into your closet with your closet as massive or small and stood in front of it and said, finish the sentence for me, I can't, you know, right? We say stupid things, right? I mean, we got work clothes. We got workout clothes. I never use them, but I got them, right? We've got, I, you know what? I have a special pair of shoes that sit in my garage by my front door, and I only wear those shoes when I mow the yard. I have lawn mowing shoes. Is that not crazy? Here's maybe the weirdest one. Rich people have houses for their cars, Seriously, the rich people, I know you guys can't relate to this, but rich people have these little houses that they pull their cars into. We call them garages. And Pastor Casey, when I was sharing that, he said, you know what's funny? He says, I can't even park my car in its house because it's full of stuff. <laughs> right? See, we're plagued by discontentment. When we get stuff, we want more stuff. And it's like old phone equals unhappy, new phone's going to make me happy. Right? House with no garage, I can't be happy. When I get a house with a garage, now I'll be happy. And we equate happiness to stuff. And so here, here is the problem. And I, I put this down on a little special post-it note because this is so important. If you can relate to any of this, then you are rich. Any of it. Not all of it. Any of it. Then you are rich in this life. 
But here's the problem. There ain't a person in this room who feels rich. And because you don't feel rich, you don't think rich. And because you don't think you're rich, you don't act out the practices of a good, rich person. We say things like I said earlier, man, if I were to win that $36,000, man, here's what, I would have been a good, rich person. And what I want to begin challenging us over these next four weeks is, are you a good, rich person now? Because you're already rich. But you don't feel rich, so you don't think you're rich, so therefore you don't act like a person who practices being a rich person. Now, some of you, here's the good news. If you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. There are some people in the room who have figured this out and they do really well with it. And we need to learn from them. But the majority of the people at New City Church, man, we just don't feel like we're rich and we're waiting to the point where we get to be generous. And this is why we got to look into God's word to say, wow, what do we do with this? What do we do? I want to bring you this morning to our core text. It's going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. This is the first letter that Paul, that we know that Paul wrote to Timothy. And look what he teaches this young leader, Timothy, in, in uh, chapter 6, verse uh, 17. Let me scroll up here so I can play along with you on my notes. It's on the screens. It's on the insert. It says this. Paul writes, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. That's a good scripture, right? That's some good wisdom that Paul gives us that stands the test of time. Will you play along with me this morning? Let's do some circling and some underlining, okay? I want you to circle the word teach. I want you to circle the word teach. Pay attention to that word. Why do you think, and maybe this is some good devotion questions for you to consider this week. Why would Paul tell Timothy to teach people this? Right. Well, look, notice what he says. Is Paul, uh, Timothy, teach those who are rich, which is us, right? Teach us in this world not to be proud and not to trust in our money, which is so unreliable. But rather, our trust should be in God, who richly gives us everything uh, that we need for our enjoyment. <coughs> teach us this. Why does Timothy need to teach us this or to his churches? Why do I stand up here and I teach us this? And by the way, I'm in the classroom too. I've been reading this for several weeks. Why do we have to teach this? Because us rich people, when we're left to our own devices, we begin to trust the provision, not the provider. As we go about our life and we just kind of get into the day-to-day stuff, we begin to trust our stuff more than trusting the one who gives us the stuff. And don't, don't get all down on yourself. We just do it. That's why Paul says, Timothy, you got to teach. And that's why Pastor Matt gets up here and says, hey, guys, we got to be reminded that we trust the provider, not the provision. We have to stay focused on this kind of thinking. Now look at these next things. So he says, teach them this because we typically get sidetracked and we trust in our stuff rather than the one who gives us the stuff. And I want you to notice four good statements, four good statements <coughs> that, that uh, Paul tells Timothy that, to, that he encourages people to use their money for. Notice this. He says, tell them, underline these things, to use their money to do good. To use your money to do good. They should, number two, be rich in good works. Be rich in good works. Number three, be generous to those in need. And the last one, number four, and always be ready to share with others. So use money for good, rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. But here's the question that we have to ask ourselves, because nobody disagrees with those things. Nobody, especially in 2017, 
where there's a lot of social justice and a lot of heart for the, for the, the people who are, are struggling. Nobody hears those four things and goes, no way, I don't want to be a part of that. We all want to be a part of that, but we struggle with being a part of it. And so let's ask this question. Why do we struggle? Why do so many people struggle with being generous and willing to share? Like, Put your own answer there. Like, why do you struggle with it? I know you want to, I want to, but why do we sometimes struggle? And you might struggle with it and then do it, or you might struggle with it and then not do it. Do you have a neighbor that you see that could use some extra help? Yesterday, we were moving Jake Brom. Jake just bought his first house. He and Marjorie, we move him out of an apartment. Pretty exciting. And the lady that's on the the floor, right below Jake's, on the second floor, her name, I don't know if it's not her apartment. She was with a friend, but her name was Dorothy, and her house had just burned the day before. Her needs were so overwhelming, I didn't know what to do, right? I want to help her. I have no idea what to do. Her house was on 51st Street, uh, 51st Terrace, and her house burned. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know where to start, right? We did did pray for her, but I I didn't, you know, what do you do? But you take, that's a big one. But even on the smallest sense, you hear your kid say something about another student in their class where their parents are struggling, or you see somebody at work and you want to help, but we just don't know how to do that. Here's the thing that, um, that's interesting, is we typically don't help because we don't think we have enough. Well, yeah, Matt, if I'd have won that 50-50 raffle and I've had, I would have had an extra $36,000 this year, I totally would have helped Dorothy out. Man, if I'd have won that 50-50 raffle, I would have totally done... I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a type of thinking. Would you agree? Like, we play the game, if I won a million dollars, what would I do? Or if I won the lottery, what would I do? It's a type of thinking that if I had more, then I would be generous. Not, how do I be generous with what I have right now? There's, this is an interesting study. The majority of Americans, right? And the majority of Americans, almost all, the more Americans make, the less they give. Now, the dollar amount might be bigger, but the percentage gets smaller. So the more an American makes the less they typically give. Dollar amount, it may be bigger, but a percentage of the income of their, their increased wealth, it doesn't go up. And one of the things that we're going to talk about over this next week, and it's there in your insert, is Jesus was all about percentages. You don't really see much in the Bible about, hey, give this $25. Or, there's a lot about percentages in the Bible. Jesus talked a lot about that. The scriptures talk a lot about that. So I want to talk to us real quick this morning about our mindset. Our mindset. And so... To, just to kind of let you see kind of how my mind works, these are my notes for this morning, okay? And I have my little stickies here on the side of things that I want to make sure that I don't forget, okay? And here's something that I don't want us to forget this morning. Giving is not a salvation issue, right? I am not talking, uh, this topic this morning has, has very, very, very little, if anything, to do with your salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God. God gave Jesus, right, to us as our salvation, Giving, if it's not a salvation issue, then why do we talk about it? Because giving is a, is a discipleship issue. Giving is a maturing in your walk issue. Giving, becoming generous, even more generous, is all about following Jesus. And let's just be honest. There are parts of our life where we can be really faithful in following the Lord, and there can be areas of our life that we say, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to let you have a part of that. And too often, we kind of keep our wallet away from God. And we say, hey, I will follow you in so many things, in so many ways, but we don't step into the discipleship efforts of Jesus and our money. And as in it is in most discipling context, it starts with changing the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. When you begin to change the way you think, right? 
then it begins to change the way that you act. And so I want to go after this morning, I want to go after a mindset. And I want to talk to you this morning about two mindsets. Okay, and I'm getting, we're almost done, but I want to give you two mindsets quickly this morning. The first one is the bag mindset. Write that in. The bag mindset. Here's what a bag mindset is. A bag mindset, if you have a bag mindset, you think this. I don't have enough to be generous. That's just kind of what you think. Like if you had more, you would be, right? But you don't have enough, so you can't. I want to, I just can't. This is my son's bag from, uh, when, when was Halloween? Um, was that Monday night or Tuesday night? Tuesday night. This was my son's bag. He got a big one, all right? Big bag. That's Luke. The girls have pumpkins. Luke grabs this. Except there's a problem that we found out right away. Watch this. And I didn't make this up for this illustration. My son Luke picked the big bag to get the most candy with the hole in the bottom of it. Uh, he, right? <laughs> you guys that know Luke are laughing. And so we went over to Stanton and Summer Coles. They opened up their home, uh, like a, their driveway, and they had hot dogs going, and that's kind of was home base for our trick-or-treating. And I trick-or-treated with Ashley and Zoe and uh, Clyde and the Pat's uh, kiddos and uh, their grandkids. And uh, I had to tape Luke's thing because here's the deal. This doesn't help Daddy if there's no candy in his bag because when kids go to sleep, Daddy eats the candy, right? And so I taped it up, and I took the tape off so I could show you guys. But... Um, Here's the thing, a bag mindset, you have to be very, you're protective of this because all you have is what can fit in here and you have to protect it, okay? Now, there is a scripture that if you have a bag, again, a bag mindset is a person who says this, I don't have enough to be generous. I have to protect it, right? And so, and that's, listen, that's just the majority of us in the room right now. Not all of us, but that's the majority of the people in the room. Matt, I want to be generous. If I had more, I would be. There's a scripture that I want to share with you. It's in the Old Testament book of Haggai, chapter 1, verse 6. If you, have the bi- <coughs> excuse me, if you have the bag mindset, you may also have experienced this type of scripture. God says to the prophet Haggai, You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but are never filled. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but are not warm. Those who earn wages end up with holes in their pockets. Do you ever feel like you had holes in your pockets? Do you feel like, like no matter how hard you try, you just can't get ahead? I mean, I wrote some of these things down because this is just reality. You think you're just starting to get ahead, and bam, the water heater goes out. You're starting to get ahead, and boom, the transmission. You're getting some breathing room finally, and man, when you know it, it's braces or college, or your daughter says, hey, I'm getting married, which you're excited about, but all dollar signs, all right? You feel like you're living with a bag with holes in it. And as much as you'd like to be generous, you don't feel like you can be because it seems like everything that goes in the bag goes right out of the bag. <coughs> And so, of course, you can't give because you don't have it. That's the bag mindset. I want to change your thinking. See, the bag mindset, you're trusting the provision. Your, your hope is in this, right? But you can, you, there's a better way of thinking. And it, I want to, if you'll turn your insert over, I'm going to kind of share that with you now. The other way of thinking is this, is to start with a question. <coughs> the question is this. How much more money would you need to accumulate so that you could be fearless? You could be completely secure and never worry about money again. Like how much money? I want you to write down a figure. How much money would you need to earn so that you would never, ever, ever have to worry about money again? Write that figure down. I've done research on this. I know the answer. Seriously. It's not a number. It's a word. More. More. When you have a bag mindset... You never have enough. 
Why? Because we live in denial and we always want more things. And so typically what goes into your bag is already accumulated for, like it's already spoken for. More money, bigger house. More money, faster car. More money, smaller, shiny, faster thing. And we tend to we tend to assign what we have in our bag to stuff that we want, and then we go we're like we can get a bigger bag, but the same situation, bigger bag. I mean, do you not remember when you were starting out and you were dirt poor, and you dreamed about what it would be like one day, and all of a sudden one day arrived and it's the same story now. You're not generous today, like you thought you would be when you had a bigger bag. Well, Papa got a brand new bag. Ain't that a song? I'm not gonna do the dance. Throughout the Bible, you will find only two percentage points. Remember earlier I said that Jesus is all about the percentages. There's only two in the Scripture. You, find, you see the 10% a lot of times in the Old Testament. It is referenced in the New. But you see 10% in the Old all the time. And in the New Testament, you see 100%. You see Jesus observing the money basket, and he acknowledges the lady who comes and gives all. What's well, all? 100%. And so let's talk a little bit about that. And, and here, here's the thing. Here's the second mindset for you guys who like to fill in the blanks. It's a barn mindset. A barn. A barn mindset. A barn mindset is a person who is believing that God is abundant God and can be trusted. A barn mindset person, a, mind, a barn thinker, you believe that God is an abundant God and can be trusted. You are the one who says, wow, I see this need, and I'm going to trust that God's going to provide me to meet this need. And you go after that need. You go after it. You don't say, well, I only have this so much money. No, you, you give it. Uh, I can remember a time as a young student pastor where I had a $50 bill in my wallet. Why I had that, I have no idea, but I did. And I came off the stage one day, I was in Fort Lauderdale, and my worship guy's name was Josh Diaz. And Josh just began to say, dude, my van's out of gas. I mean, he just kind of was just saying his van's out of gas. I said, what's it cost to put van your gas? He goes, dude, today's price is probably 50 bucks. Huh. And I took out my wallet and I gave it to him. I wasn't loaded, right? But when that happened, I knew I had 50 I never had $50 in my pocket. But it was as clear as day why I had it in that moment. And Josh was like, What? I can't take your money. I go, dude, it's not my money. Who's that money belong to? See, a barn mindset person understands that it ain't mine to begin with, that everything I have comes from the Father. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Proverbs chapter 3 is a chapter all about wisdom. What my second favorite verse in the Bible is in Proverbs chapter 3. It's verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Let's move on now to verse 9. In verse 9 and 10, Solomon says, Hey guys, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of your crop. Circle those two words, first fruits. Where do you think, what do you think first fruits are? What do they are? When you get paid, what are first fruits? It's your tithe. It's your first thing, right? Like, like some of us, if you wait to be generous on the back end of your paycheck, meaning that um, uh, the groceries go first, the mortgage goes first, the kids' stuff goes first, your, your Apple Watch goes first, or buying the, 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 the oil for your car goes first, that's not first fruits. God always wants to go first in your life. He wants to have first priority. And so Solomon says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of your crops. When you get paid, man, you take that first tithe, percentage. You're like, I don't want to tithe. Great, give 12%. Just don't go below it. Well, man, why, you can't say that. Yeah, I can't because the scriptures do. 
There's two percentage points in the Bible, the 10 and the 100. Give somewhere in between those. And you're like, well, you're just after my money. Don't give here. <laughs> Seriously. Like, if you think I'm after your money, don't give here. I don't want it. I don't need it. God has been so faithful to New City through the people who understand what we're doing and why we're doing it that I can't be the reason that you choose not to be generous. And so if you can't trust me, man, you found that family in need and you take your first fruits of your offering and you take that tithe or whatever you want to give above that and you bless the snot out of somebody. And you know what? I think God is all for you in that. And I want to earn your trust as a minister, as a pastor of this place where you can say, I can tithe here, I can give here because God's given us big dreams and big opportunities. But we give towards this. Now notice this. I love this. I want you to circle. So you circle first fruits. And I want you to underline real hard. Then. The first fruit of your crops. Then. I love then. Your barns will be filled completely and your vats will overflow with new wine. Here's a question. You want a bag with holes or barns completely filled? And here's the deal. I'm not the one making you that promise. Thank you, Lord. Right? I can't, I, can't, I can't guarantee that. But the scripture says, do you feel like you have holes in your pocket? And you can go ahead and go, if you want to, you can go ahead and read all of Haggai chapter 1 to see if I'm out of context. The context is this. Haggai is going at the people because they're building their kingdom instead of God's kingdom. That people aren't giving to God because they're trying to take care of their stuff. In our context, in the Miller household... It would be us saying, which we're not, but it would be us saying, hey, we're going to go after getting out of debt faster, so we're going to give less. Because our kingdom is, you know, it's stressful whenever we have debt in our kingdom. And Jen and I are having that conversation now. No, 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 no. Our debt is, that's not necessarily God's fault. We, we made those decisions. He still gets, of course, our first fruits and even beyond that for us. And then, and then, babe, our, our barn will be completely filled. And who doesn't want new wine? Here's the bottom line, and I've said it already tonight, today. Trust the provider and not the provision. Trust the provider, not the provision. And here's how I want to help you out. They're not in your bulletin, and they're not on your seat, because this is the decision. I said it's a discipleship issue, and I'm not saying they won't be on your seats next week. They may be. We'll talk about it. But I want to do my best to be the Timothy to you guys and teach it towards something. Because I do believe that tithing, or at least starting at the tithing, it teaches you to trust God. When you tithe, it teaches you to trust God. And so here's what we're going to do at New City Church. These are in the back of the room. They're not in your seats. They're not in your bulletins. This is between you and the Lord and me. <laughs> um, but it's on the table back here behind, right beside Stanton. And right here by Charlie, there's a stack of these. And it's the 90-day tithe challenge. And Stanton, I think we even have a picture of that form up next I think we can put up. And here, here's what this thing says. Realizing that trust is the single most important factor in a relationship and that God says, test me in this. I take this step of trust by committing the first 10% of my income to the Lord through New City Church. And then there's three options. I will begin tithing for the first time. I will return to tithing or I already tithe. I'm in box three. My wife and I are currently deciding what do we do over these next 90 days. What is the challenge that my wife and I and several of you are already tithers? What is the challenge that we're going to do in the next 90 days to, to show God? Matt, are you out of your mind? You're doing a 90-day tithe challenge over the Christmas holidays? You have no sense. You know what? I don't. But I also realize this. If we wait until the next year, you got something else going on. It's a birthday. It's an anniversary. It's vacation. It's a wedding. It's a, so there's never a reason... 
a great reason for you to step out in faith and to simply trust. This is what the 90... Now, I want you to hear this, okay? After 90 days, at the conclusion, starting, starting this month, if you feel like... And you've tithed for over 90 days. If you've given 10% of your first fruits, at the conclusion of those 90 days, if you feel like God has let you down and He didn't come through like Pastor Matt said He would... I will reimburse you 100% of everything you've given. This is a risk-free opportunity for you to take a step of faith that some of you have neglected to take because you're scared to death if what happens if you run out of money. Let me say this again. Starting this week, your next paycheck, if you will give God the first 10%, first fruits before you give anything else, and you do that for 90 days, at the conclusion of those 90 days, if you feel like God has totally let you down, New City Church will cut you a check 100% of what you have given over those 90 days, no questions asked. Like This is the safest way to ever take a step that I can possibly give you. And here is my selling point. You ready for this? I want you to give God a chance to let you down. Because some of you have the reason that you don't tithe is you already assume he will. I want you now to put him to the test and let him prove to you. I want to give you a shot over the next 90 days for you to look at him and go, I told you so. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. You know what? I've known a lot of tithers in my day. I ain't never heard of one of them say that. I've met a whole lot of people who don't tithe in my day, and they always say that. This is free. There's no risk. I'm not kidding you. I'll write you a check 100% of what you gave over the last 90 days. No questions asked. They're on the back thing. Fill it out. Put it in the box. All right? Make sure I have your email because we're going we're gonna to walk together through this. And over the next 90 days, I want you to walk with me and so many others as we step into the barn mindset where we trust that God has it. He's given it to us to do good works with it and to enjoy it, by the way. I'm not a miserable person. Life is good. It's hard sometimes, but life is good. And for no other reason, man, I got peace in my life. Because when money stuff does happen, you know what I do? I say, God, it's your problem. It's not my problem. I'm doing the best I can with what you've given me. So here we go. Last thing. Will you trust the provision or will you trust the provider? And I'm giving you a risk-free opportunity to take a huge step of faith and drop the bag and pick up the barn mindset. Amen? I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time. And we're going to have our time of giving back to God as he's been so generous to us. I want you to pray for me for the remaining three services today. Talking about money is sometimes a sticky subject. I don't mind it at all. But I want us to get better in it. I want us to grow. I don't want us to be stressed out. And, and I want us to win. I want us to win financially as individuals and also as a, as a church ministry, as a body. This morning, Thomas and Ron are going to receive our offering. So have you guys come on up at this time. And can we, can we pray? And I'm going to pray something specific for you. And um, I guess I would ask you this, and we've never done this before. If, if this is a stretch for you, how about, how about we do this? How about we close our eyes and bow our head, just kind of sensing what the Holy Spirit wants me to do here. And if this morning, before we receive our offering, and you're considering this 90-day tithe challenge, if this is something that you, you want to do but you're scared to death to do, I ask that you would just put your hands out simply in front of you, like open, palms up, and I want you to receive this prayer that I'm going to pray for you. Okay, just Jesus... We want to trust you with our money. 
but we're scared to death because we understand how little or the limitations of what we have. For those of us who are going to do this tithe challenge, we want to be able to say we trust you completely. Grow my faith in this. Show up in my life. Give me the courage that I need to take this step of obedience. It's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.